up, everyone? Welcome to the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at GregSauce. You can find all of my work over at 2QBs.com or at 2QBs on Twitter. We're going to have Scott Pianowski of Yahoo on the show today. Uh, but before we get to him, I want to make a brief interlude for the sponsor of this episode. It's SquadQL. This is your one-stop shop for lineup optimization in your weekly fantasy football leagues. SquadQL takes your league settings from Yahoo or ESPN or CBS. It pulls it all in and it looks at your roster. It looks at the waiver wire. It looks at the other teams in your league. It suggests moves you should make from one player to another in your lineup. It suggests pickups. It helps you with trades. It's, it's a really cool app. I suggest you check it out. Make sure you let them know that 2QB sent you, and I think you're going to like the app. It's pretty cool. I've been using it for week one, and it made some good suggestions. I'm looking forward to see what it has in store for week two. So once again, that's SquadQL. Check it out at SquadQL.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome in Scott Pianowski of Yahoo Sports and the Breakfast Table podcast to the show. Scott, welcome back, man. It's good to have you. Uh, good to be here, Greg. Looking forward to talking some football with you. Yeah, I mean, it's we've been waiting a long time to get to this point, and I want to start off, you know how like... There are those those scenes in movies or, or lines in shows where they say there's some good news and there's some bad news. Uh, I'm going to start you off with a like, I think we have a lot of good questions to get to, but I'm going to start you off with a bad question. And this is one that you probably don't want to answer and that only a very small subset of people are going to be interested in. But this is like a, uh, I don't know, like a deep two quarterback sort of idea. And I'm wondering... With the injuries that we saw yesterday to Marcus Mariota and Aaron Rodgers, if you were in a deep, like super deep two-quarterback format, if you're looking for a speculative pickup off the waiver wire, do you have any interest or, or who would you rather pick up between Blaine Gabbert, Deshaun Kaiser, or maybe even Tim Boyle, the, the third stringer in Green Bay? That's a great question. I, I guess my first inclination would be Kaiser, assuming he was the starter, just because he washes the Cleveland off him. You can blame some of his problems on, on just, you know, how clueless that coaching staff is. And you just see the pieces that Green Bay has. I, I'm blown away at how much Devontae Adams has improved in the last couple of years. And mm-hmm. I mean, he was productive last year, even with Humbley. And even though I was fading Randall Cobb all um, preseason, and, I, and I'm not sure if that long touchdown Sunday night was more about the Bears defense than Cobb, but he did look like an active player. Obviously, they'll get something out of Graham. I just feel like the setup is better in Green Bay for a quarterback where Gabbert, you know, they just lost Laney Walker. It's still a work in progress for some of their other guys. I guess Corey Davis had some. I still have to rewatch that game, by the way. That felt, felt like a mini series rather than a football game. <laughs> but you, you could only watch so many things at once. And once that game got on delay, I just kept, and then they'd come back and then they'd go away again. And I just basically just kind of pushed it out of the way and then watched the, the end of it like everybody else did when there was nothing else to watch. But so I still need to, to break down what happened in that game. But I would lean towards Kaiser. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the right choice as much as I hate to admit it, if only because, I mean, first of all, it sounds like Aaron Rodgers' injury, or looked like Aaron's Roger, Aaron Rodgers' injury might be worse than what Marcus Mariota suffered. I mean, they both came back into the game, but the way Rodgers was moving around in the second half there was pretty damning, just from like a, you know, the naked eye test, and... I don't know, though. I am worried, though, because when Kaiser was in there, he was a complete mess. And you can blame some of that on him being thrust into the game without, mm-hmm. you know, having been prepped as the starter. Maybe that gets better in week two if he has to play. But I, I don't know. You mentioned the coaching staff there. That's not going to change. Like, that's still going to be a problem for Green Bay. I mean, you don't have any concerns about that continuing to hamper Kaiser if he does have to get in well, there? Also, I mean, she's what a horrible draw on the schedule with Minnesota this week. Mm-hmm. I am not a doctor, but 
Rodgers looks hurt to me. And yeah. just because he played the second half doesn't mean he's not hurt. I mean, uh, Wentz didn't Wentz throw a touchdown? Not Wentz. Yeah, Carson Wentz. Didn't he throw a touchdown pass after he blew out his knee last year? I mean, you know, players have played through ridiculous injuries, and then when they get to the light of day, they see how hurt they are. I'm concerned, and I say this just as a football fan. Obviously, nobody wants injuries. I don't know why people have to go on Twitter and scream out, oh, injuries suck. Yeah, nobody. You know, Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is one of the best players in football. And unless you absolutely hated the Packers, why wouldn't you want him to be on the field healthy? I have almost no stake in him as a fantasy guy this year just because quarterback was so deep. But, I mean, I want to see the best players play. He's one of the very best. So I, I would hate it if he's hurt for a long time. But I, I think he gutted that out. And I, I, my gut feeling, based on no inside knowledge and no doctor degree, is that there's an injury here and he's not going to play this week. That's just my gut feel. And I don't know why they would throw him out to the Minnesota Wolves there. That just doesn't seem like something you want to do. It's almost worth, even if you know Kaiser isn't going to be able to get it done, just give Rodgers a little bit of time to I don't just right. give him the week off against a really let me, tough Let me matchup. ask you a question that ties into that. What, again, we're going to talk about the, the only the very best quarterbacks here, like the, the Buffalo quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. What's your stance on, there's two schools of thought with, with Buffalo. I think it's part of it is like, well, Josh Allen's your future, so get him in there. And then some people say, no, wait a minute, Josh Allen's your future, so don't throw him to Baltimore, don't throw him to the Chargers. Obviously, he played part of that first week game. But if you were in charge of the Bills, do you think they're better off getting Allen in as soon as possible or trying to find a soft spot in their schedule? It turns out the first half of their schedule this year is just awful. I mean, I don't see a lot of easy landings. But what would you be doing if you were in charge of the Bills? My general thought process is to get get him in there. Give him the reps. At some point, he's going to have to get into games and face tough defenses. If he is the future of your franchise, that's going to happen eventually. And... I think there is something to be said about limiting the exposure to that, or at least kind of limiting the potential negative effects of that to, to pretend, like confidence that he might have, like just being, cause I feel like we've seen quarterbacks get ruined like that. Like Deshaun Kaiser might be a good example of that, to be honest. David Carr, right? Yeah, exactly. And, but, but at the same time, the playing time, the practice time, it's also limited with these guys that I, I err on the side of just get them in there, see if they can do it. And if they, and if they can't get through those, you know, growing pains against bad and good defenses, then maybe they, I mean, they probably weren't the answer in the first place. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, you look at the schedule, you know, if, if not the Ravens, then it's the Chargers, then it's the Vikings in Minnesota, no less. So, um, you know, it's not like it gets easier. Then he goes to Green Bay, which is, you know, a, a tough place to play. Uh, the Texans are in there, which if they have all their uh, all their personnel on defense, it's a soft land. It's not a soft landing at all. So, I, I guess I, my point would be to get Allen in early, but maybe he doesn't have to play week one or week two or even week three. But um, Buffalo is such a strange team. I mean, I, obviously they were a fluke playoff team last year. You know, they they were outscored. They they won more games than they were supposed to. But I've never seen a team that was in the playoffs that didn't have some absurd bad luck event. I mean, one thing if a team made the playoffs and like their quarterback, you know, retired or, you know, everybody left the team or something. Buffalo went from a playoff team to they could, they're in the running to be the worst team in football right now. And I, I, mean, I think everybody felt that way before the season. I, I, I'm, you know, it's not like I'm jumping on lat, the result from week one. It's just strange to see a team. I know the NFL is a reshuffle league and we see, you know, worst to first is a common thing and playoff teams don't repeat and all that. But I can't remember a team that made the playoffs look so hopeless eight months later. Yeah, I, I think it just has a lot to do with the fact that they were a bit of a fluke last year making the mm-hmm. playoffs in the first place. Like, sure. by all you know measures, I think the Chargers were a more deserving playoff team. They just didn't get there on the tiebreakers, right? That's just how the the season broke out. Um, let's let's 
table these bad QB discussions for a minute. Let's let's talk week one in general. Big picture, what stood out to you uh, from this first you know run of games? And we're, we're recording this in the middle of Detroit and, and the Jets, but um, from yesterday and last night, and maybe even dating back to, to Thursday with the Eagles and the Falcons, what were your big takeaways from week one for fantasy? Joe Mixon was a player who I saw the pro case on, but every time it got to like Mixon or somebody else in a 50-50 call, I found myself going the other way. I don't, I don't know if I was just worried about the Bengals more than I should have been. I don't have a lot of Mixon. I'm not even convinced I have any of Mixon, which tells you how many leagues I'm in where I don't even know my ownership level of a player, but it's low. I'm underweight on Mixon. And he sure looked like Le'Veon Bell that second season where right. Bell looked ordinary his rookie year, lost weight, took the game more seriously, and then boom, difference maker year two. Uh, Mixon basically shoved Giovanni Bernard out of the way. He was used in all sorts of different packages, uh, active as a runner, active as a receiver. I'm worried that I'm, I'm going to look back. Last year, I had no Alvin Kamara. In fact, I, I said his name wrong for like two and a half months. <laughs> Although I, I feel like everybody says it some some different way. But anyway, I, I was out on Kamara. I mean, he was their third running back. You know, they signed Adrian Peterson for some reason. Obviously, Ingram is a good player. When Sean Payton compared Kamara to uh, – when they introduced that Payton was going to compare Kamara to somebody, I thought, oh, probably Reggie Bush, right? And then he compared him to Marshall Falk in the preseason. I thought, why would you compare anybody to Marshall Falk? And then I saw Kamara, you know, midway through the year look like Marshall Falk. And I'm like, okay, that's why. Yep. Um, but anyway, I was out on Kamara last year. Not, not so much that I was, like, violently opposed to him. It's just, you know, other people wanted him more in fab. You know, other people drafted him when I wasn't going to draft him, stuff like that. So people, you know, were rewarded for that. I'm getting that fear. Not that Mixon necessarily will be as good as Kamara. I mean, man, did Kamara look great yesterday, too. But I think Mixon might go down as one of the right answers. And this might be one of the things where I'm going to be out on it and it's really going to hurt. Now, when I wasn't taking Mixon in a lot of drafts, one of the guys I was taking was Tyreek Hill. And he was such a funny player to analyze because he scores all these touchdowns from distance. He gets very, I say very few, really no cheap touchdowns for Tyreek Hill. It's always you know a distance touchdown. It's hard to live that way. You know, as good as Deshaun Jackson was at peak, he'd have years where he wouldn't have a lot of touchdowns. But uh, you know, he isn't an Andy Reid offense. Even though they have a lot of quote-unquote mouths to feed, I actually think they have a narrow usage tree. I don't, I don't think they're going to use all that many guys, although they, a couple of guys snuck into the box score yesterday. But, man, was if, if, you're, if you didn't get excited watching that Mahomes-to-Hill touchdown where – Mahomes drops back, zip. Hill's already downfield, zip. Hill's already beaten the defenders. I, I just like, wow. He's so fast. He is. He's ridiculous. He, he's. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have made this comparison. I know Mike Selfino was making it today. I mean, he's like the video game is broken fast. I mean, he he looks <laughs> faster. Every once in a while, you you walk by like a, a Pop Warner game or a youth game, and there's one kid who looks like he's two or three years older than everybody else, and he's just dominating the game. Now, Mixon isn't doing it on size, but. He looks like he's old. He, he's like, you know, the high school kid trying against the middle school kids. I mean, it, it looks unfair. It looks like, how can anybody tackle this guy? And um, I have a fair amount of Hill. I wish I had more Mahomes. I mean, there are just so many choices to quarterback. I have some Mahomes, but, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like if he hits, it's going to be a huge win for me. But just as a football fan, you know, Andy Reid, Pat Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, obviously the other players there, you know, Kelsey, you know, is a great player. I mean, um, they have the reigning NFL rushing champion on the roster. Sammy Watkins eventually will do something. That's going to be a fun team. And it looks like their defense might be bad too. And so you, you look at the the Saints yesterday, couldn't stop a thing. I don't know where that came from because I think a lot of people thought the Saints had a good defense, certainly not a defense that Ryan Fitzpatrick would light up. 
I'm excited if the Chiefs or the Saints are going to be that type of team, that carnival team that scores a lot of points and gives up a lot of points week in and week out, or more often than not, man, it's going to be a really fun fantasy season. So my big takeaway was I regret not having Mixon. Um, I'm glad, though, that I do have a lot of Hill. And I'm wondering what the heck – I'm wondering if maybe the Saints – maybe there's something with their defense that I'm missing that it's actually going to be an average defense or a negative defense when I thought it was going to be a plus defense – which I do think would be actually good for their offensive pieces. Yeah, definitely. I I think the one commonality between those players that you mentioned was they were all facing bad or at least depleted defenses yesterday. Mm -hmm. And so this is, I mean, kind of a universal truth with week one. It's not to completely overreact, but I like that you're still willing to make those calls and say, look, I, I may have been wrong on Mixon. I know that it was against the Colts and their dreadful defense, but you know, he still looked good, right? That's, that's the type of matchup where he should succeed if he's a good player. And yeah, Hill's a, a fascinating case too. Cause like you say, his type of the type of production he puts up seems so fluky, but at the same time, because Andy Reed is there scheming up all these interesting ways to get him the ball, it's not really a fluke, or at least it doesn't seem that way to me anymore. It just seems like they know how to use him properly. And that's why he's so successful. It's fascinating to watch. Mahomes is a player that I was I had a really hard time evaluating Me too. in in the preseason because he is a younger player and I I mean the talent was definitely there but you know first year as a starter with a bad defense you know if if they're in predictable game scripts like that worries me as a fantasy owner like I think we saw that happen to Garoppolo yesterday where it seemed like they they were just always put into these positions where they had to throw the ball and the Vikings were just ready for those moments. And that's when the quarterbacks tend to throw more interceptions. I mean, especially against a good defense like Minnesota. Now, Mahomes wasn't going against that level of defense yesterday. And I think that's why he was able to find success. So I think like early in the season, in the preseason, when I was, you know, doing rankings and, you know, figuring out who I wanted on my teams. Like, I was drafting Mahomes a little bit for the upside, but he felt more like a best ball pick to me, someone who's going to have huge weeks like he did yesterday, Mm -hmm. but also a player who's going to have some down weeks. And I think those are still coming because, again, he's a young player. He's going to make some mistakes, but you're right. I mean, just the the pure upside of him with his talent chasing points in that offense with Hill, with Watkins, with Kelsey, with Kareem Hunt, like, that's – pretty tantalizing but you're right there's so many quarterbacks to choose from it's tough to really land on one guy as the guy that you want to own and maybe Mahomes will end up being that player like I think last year it was Alex Smith to some extent or Russell Wilson at the high end but Mm -hmm. that was my big takeaway from week one is that QBs are who we thought they were you know the position is super deep 14 quarterbacks scored more than 18 fantasy points. Five of the top 10 scorers through Sunday were, weren't drafted in the top 10 at the position. Like, this is how the position works. You can get good production from the middle rounds and the late rounds even. You just have to play the matchups appropriately. Try not to get, you know, run over by, you know, the, the Matt Ryan against the Philly defense or, uh, I'm trying to think of another good example from yesterday. I mean, does anything else come to mind for you where, where you saw the matchup and you figured, okay, this matchup is going to be conducive to fantasy scoring or, uh, you know, negative to fantasy scoring, and it worked out for that particular QB. I certainly expected a lot of points in the Chiefs-Chargers game. Um, I, I thought the Bengals-Colts game, although I wasn't sure what to make of Luck, and I, I kind of tiptoed around Luck. I, I think everybody thought the Ravens were going to crush the Bills. I, I thought Pittsburgh would be um, would do what they normally do, play down to their um, opposition. And, man, both teams tried to lose that game. It was it – was, uh, it was ridiculous. I guess the big disappointment for me, and I wasn't on this guy, but I 
I, I saw the case for him is, you know, Deshaun Watson was so good his rookie year, only six games though, off a major injury, uh, no fuller in week one, which may have impacted Watson's game more than I might have anticipated beforehand. Now it looks kind of obvious, right? I mean, the Patriots have one guy to worry about in Hopkins, mm-hmm. and if he doesn't crush you, then it's really asking a lot for um, for Watson and the rest of the team to do much, plus that Houston offensive line. I, I knew it wasn't a plus offensive line, but I uh, it may be a bigger problem than I thought. It was interesting to watch Russell Wilson. This is, what, his seventh year? This is the first year I have not proactively drafted Russell Wilson. Every other year I've wanted him for some different reason, whether it be in two quarterback, one quarterback, um, you've ranked him higher than other people. Uh, this year with Baldwin being hurt, and, and now it turns out his other knee is hurt, and I guess it was a fluke injury. I, I, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but uh, I was scared off Baldwin this year. Very curious to see if Russell can somehow make chicken salad out of what he's left with, because you know, it sounds like Baldwin's going to be out for a while. Maybe it's a lost season for him. Obviously, they lost Graham, who was a great goal line guy last year, not so much between the 20s. Richardson was a contributor. So now they're asking you know, Brandon Marshall to be useful. They're, they're asking Lockett to finally have a step-up season, which I think he can have. But you know, can he really be the lead singer of this offense? Mm-hmm. Um, they have a tight end that nobody had ever heard of until yesterday, You know, come up with a 100-yard game, guy who had 25 or so catches in his college career. You know, Wilson... This is really testing testing what he's a bit, what he's um, capable of doing. You know, I, I think you need playmakers, and you need difference makers, and I don't see that he has them. I mean, last year, what he had every touchdown but one for Seattle. Wilson accounted for. Uh, that's the team I'm worried about. I know he had a good fantasy day, and Seattle was you know, was in a ball game with Denver. I mean, they easily could have won that game, but um, it's just weird to be out on Russell Wilson because usually he's a guy I'm in on. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, in terms of I don't know, maybe, maybe guys who did surprise you who was the quarterback who outperformed your expectations the most in week one who was the boom of the week can it be anybody other than ryan fitzpatrick yeah i mean it has to be fitzpatrick i mean you know double digit underdog a journeyman who isn't even supposed to be the starter they even took i think everybody knew fitzpatrick was going to start but they were even coy for a while in the preseason about if he'd even be their starter Mm -hmm. and this is what i I asked you greg this is what i'm trying to figure out because i've seen both of these angles presented if you say you were in a two quarterback league, it, it's less of a strategy in a one quarterback league. But say you know, look, look, we, this is a two quarterback podcast. We love we love super flex leagues. We love two quarterback leagues. Jameis Winston was pretty good down the stretch last year. Jameis Winston, for whatever preseason means, it seems to mean less and less as teams phase out, you know, taking the game seriously. But really good, you know, summer, really good exhibition. Of course, he's suspended for three games, and Tampa Bay reasonably has kind of washed him off as the face of the franchise. You know, they, they still have him. He's, he's in a contract year. They're going to be at the point at the end of the year where they have to decide what they're going to do, if they're going to get married or, or go their separate ways. But is Fitzpatrick going off in New Orleans? If you own Winston, if you're sitting on Winston thinking, okay, I, you know, there's a nice big upside here, a lot of juicy pieces. When you see Fitzpatrick go off, do you think, oh, great. I can't wait to see Winston play with these guys three weeks. Or do you think, oh, wait a minute, is this going to encourage Tampa Bay to maybe delay Winston getting the job back? Or God forbid, is there actually a quarterback controversy here? If you own Winston, what happened yesterday? Is that good, bad, neutral? How are you spinning it? I mean, the real answer is that we don't know. But in my gut, I, I feel bad. I'm worried about it. Like if I own Winston, and I do, I drafted him a fair amount. I was kind of touting him as that guy thinking – Fitzpatrick is going to play a few games, but Fitzpatrick is a known commodity or a known quantity. We we know how good he is, and we, I mean, and I thought I knew that Winston was better than 
Ryan Fitzpatrick. And now if there's any seed of doubt there, you know, one less start for Winston, even if you, even if Fitzpatrick only holds on to that gig for one more game, that hurts me as a Winston owner. So I don't like it. I was, I honestly, I'd rather have seen Winston go, or excuse me, Fitzpatrick go out there and, and crap the bed for two or three weeks at, at least. But you know, this one big performance, uh, it has me worried that maybe they will run with him a little bit longer, even if they don't plan for it to be a long-term solution for them at quarterback, just, just to maybe kind of prove a point to Winston. Because I think that, you know, NFL teams and coaches and ownership can be petty like that. That's mm-hmm. not something I'm really interested in. Now, with that said, the Saints defense yesterday was really bad. I don't know if Fitzpatrick is going to keep this up over the next few weeks. Now, I think they get Cleveland in week two, which he, he should the Saints, be fu- The Saints actually get Cleveland. The, the Tampa Bay schedule... The Tampa Bay schedule is – this is what I thought was bad for Fitzpatrick, okay, or whoever was going to play quarterback. The Saints I thought was a bad matchup. Then they're at home for Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, which I think are bad matchups. And then they're at Chicago. I I know they collapsed down the stretch at Green Bay, but, I mean, I think everybody thought they had a reasonable defense, and they just added Khalil Mack. You know, he'll be more up to speed. And then they get the bye week. I think it would be – if Fitzpatrick doesn't, you know, totally, you know, hit hit 12 o'clock and turn to a pumpkin again – it would be really easy for Tampa Bay to kind of, you know, slap Jameis on the on the wrist and say, you know what, you're not playing against the Bears. It's actually a short turnaround week too. They have a they have a Monday night game at Pittsburgh in week three, hmm. so then they'd be asking for a short turnaround at Chicago. It just seems like it's easy to set up to say, you know what, Jameis, uh, you know, watch you the backup, you're the number two in week four. Uh, we're gonna have a bye week and then we'll reassess it. I mean, it may be until week six before Winston plays. That seems I can see Tampa Bay maybe playing that card. Yeah, no, I can see it, and thank you for correcting me. I, you, you talked about the Saints, and that would ha- that's what had Cleveland in my head there. But um, on this subject of Fitzpatrick, I saw a good stat from Josh Hermsmeyer at Frisco Josh on Twitter. He's great. So yep, great. So good. And uh, he said that Fitzpatrick's completion percentage was 15 points over the expected based on his depth of targets, you know, 75% versus 60%, and that, that we should expect some amount of regression. So like you said, considering the the strength of those matchups coming up, I think there is reason to believe that Fitzpatrick is going to turn back into a pumpkin here. Um, but let's go the other way now. Which quarterback outperformed your expectations the most in week one, or excuse me, underperformed the most in week one? Uh, because I don't think there's as obvious an answer as Fitzpatrick as an overperformer. Just really quickly, I also want to say that Case Keenum, even though he threw three interceptions, did impress me to just the way he kept pressing the ball downfield. And I also like the, the narrow usage tree in Denver. I think it's a really good year to be in on Sanders, especially. He, mm-hmm. He's you know, getting a lot of slot reps. And um, I, I think this this offense is going to be a better passing offense than maybe some people thought. And even even the interceptions don't really hurt you as long as the team doesn't bench you. You're not going to lose your gig or they're going to you know, change the offense. So that you, they're trying to you know, maybe guard against you know, what you're doing wrong. But this Dallas-Carolina game, I didn't see – the whole guys writing for a lot of the second wave of the games, and I try to rewatch the games. I don't get a chance to see all of. I'm trying to talk myself into not watching it at all. <laughs> Just, you know, <laughs> I knew Dallas didn't have a lot of receivers. I knew it was going to be a tough go for Prescott, and I know that every Cam Newton offense is going to be strange because of just the style of play he has. He's going to be maybe the best goal line back on his own team. He doesn't always have anticipa- He doesn't always make great anticipatory throws. A lot of times, he needs to see the guy open before he throws it. You take Greg Olson out of the equation, that could be a problem. Uh, man, I'm, I, I thought Carolina would win the game, but I thought you know both teams would at least score some points. You know, a sixteen to eight game on a day where there's pinball scoring is a very high fantasy scoring week. 
in a very very high offensive week. I thought both offenses were going to play a lot better than that. I mean, I, I guess with Dallas, I kind of expected it with their receivers, but um, you know, not not the Newt. Newt's just a strange player for me. I, I feel like any week he can. I feel like he's more of a boom or bust guy at a position where I would like to have the steady drum drummer with the beat, where I know what I'm getting every week. And, and Newton to me has never really been that player. I have a hard time evaluating him game to game as well, but he's one of those guys who, when you know that the big weeks are coming, kind of like what we were talking about with Mahomes earlier, to where I can live with that type of player because he's not always going to kill you in his bad weeks. He's probably going to have one or two of those games per year, but most quarterbacks have those. I Yeah, I, I, I think that Newton performed close to my expectations this week. For for me, it was probably Watson. I, I looked at that matchup against New England, and I told myself that story of, look, t- you know, Belichick is the king of taking away the other team's best weapon. And in that case, this will be DeAndre Hopkins most likely. But I, I also think you know DeAndre Hopkins is the type of player who, even when teams are giving him that type of attention, can still find some amount of a s- success. And hopefully, you know, Bill O'Brien and, and the... Houston coaching staff should be able to figure out, you know, other ways to move the ball, whether that's with Bruce Ellington out of the slot. I mean, I guess Will Fuller being out of that game should have poisoned my stance on Watson a little bit more. Maybe I should have been a little lower on him. And I wasn't high on him per se, but I guess this is kind of just residual hype from the preseason. And I was already fading him in drafts, but me too. But the fact that 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 matchup looked okay against the New England defense and I don't know. I, I was just disappointed. Like, I feel like he, he still should have done more. Like, I think he was under six yards per attempt for the week. Like, Watson is not a player who met my expectations in week one. And, I, and I'm worried about him going forward, especially if Fuller continues to miss time because that, that seems to be a problem for them. I want to be careful with this tone because I don't want it to come off the wrong way. But some people were ranking Watson as their number one quarterback in the deepest – I which commonly accepted as the deepest quarterback class in fantasy history, a player who only had six games under his belt, more importantly, was coming off a major, major injury. I just, it was too big of a leap of faith for me. I, I don't know. I, and now you see the offense, you know, how many weapons does he really have? I mean, hopefully Fuller will be back soon. Hopkins is undeniably great. He's one of those guys that's open, even when he's not open. And, and he's so aware on the boundaries and, and so good with his footwork. I, I just love watching him play. I feel like I really have a lot of Hopkins, but you can obviously see what a difference maker he is. But I, th- I think maybe just with, with Watson, it's just, I, I hate being the killjoy. I feel like I cancel Christmas when I say this, but <laughs> it's just so easy to look back at how great he was last year. And then you play the game up. Well, if he's just, 85% as good as that or 90% as good as that. And the problem is that it's so hard to be, to perform at the level he was at that it's, you're not going to regress 10%. You're going to regress some significant amount. And I always felt that at quarterback, I felt this way most fantasy seasons, but especially this year, I'm not going to talk myself into a quarterback because there's going to be a quarterback I want to draft who's going to be at a more reasonable price. So I'm not going to try to talk myself into somebody, whether it's I don't trust the supporting cast. I don't trust the coaching staff. I don't trust the line. I don't I'm worried about an injury that they're coming back from something like that. If I found any reason to be nervous about a quarterback, I would just think, well, over here, there's a stack of quarterbacks. I cannot wait to pick. Now, granted, I thought Matt Ryan was a pretty safe pick and it was so frustrating to watch that game. I was so glad when that game ended. <laughs> um, I know the Island game, when the Island game goes bad, it, it's maybe we overrate. I, I always think that, you know, anything that goes good or bad on a Monday night game or a Thursday night game, maybe presents a selling opportunity or a buying opportunity because everybody's watching at the same time. They're sharing it on Twitter. 
And if, you know, if the offense really looks bad, like Atlanta's did, it's just easy to think, oh my God, Sarkeesian hasn't figured anything out. They still can't get Julio the ball in the end zone. You know, they still don't know what they're doing with the goal line, blah, blah, blah. But, um, anyway, Watson makes me nervous. Um, I'm kind of still got some scars from that Falcons game, and I would love it if Atlanta, Carolina would play a high scoring game this week so I could feel better about both of those offenses. How are you spinning Ryan? I'm curious what your takeaway was from that game. I'm trying not to take away too much from it because it was the first game of the season and because the Philly defense is really good. That, yes. That's the worst matchup he's going to face all season. You look at the Falcons' schedule, and it only gets easier after that. So I'm still optimistic that he's going to be fine, at least usable in fantasy. Now, I heard a lot of people or, or saw a lot of people tweeting about you know how he didn't look like he had much zip on the ball. He was floating a lot of passes, and I'm by no means a quarterback mechanics expert, so I'm not going to read too much into that but that's something I'll, I'll kind of keep paying attention to like watching smart people on my timeline talk about how good his arm looks but again first game of the season like week one is essentially extended preseason for half of these teams if not more yes. so I'm not I'm not worried at this point it was a tough matchup uh island game like you said and you know he has all season to get better I, I think he'll be fine I, I'm still I'm still okay with rostering and, and using Matt Ryan I think week two he should be better and you know after that he should be yeah, he should continue to build on that. I think I think he'll be okay. A quarter of the schedule, five of their next six games are at home. So, um, you know, it's a good time for them to circle the wagons. Obviously, they'll get the extended time to prepare for, for Carolina next week. And I totally agree with you that a lot of time week one, it looks like some of these games have a little bit of exhibition feel because teams don't use their players as often in exhibition. And, you know, the rules of practice are all different now. You can't hit. You know, there's all the stuff you can't do in practice that you used to be able to do. So in a lot of ways... I thought Evan Silva had a great point that he wasn't surprised to see so many lost fumbles in week one because these guys aren't used to getting hit, carrying the ball and, you know, playing against the defense and all that. It, it, you know, I don't know if it's true or not, but it sure sure sounds intuitively true to me. Obviously, Evan's a sharp guy. So I I thought the quality of play was better last week than maybe it has been in opening weeks of of recent years, but you're totally right that sometimes these games do have a preseason feel to them. And I, I felt like the Philadelphia Atlanta game comes into that heading. And also, as you said, the Eagles' defense is excellent. You know, they get paid too. We got to give them credit. I mean, you know, the reigning Super Bowl champs and, and a lot of difference makers on all three levels of the defense. So that was part of it too. Yep. I mean, we we are still figuring a lot of stuff out. And I'm curious, what player or situation do you think most deserves just more time to accumulate evidence before you're going to feel good about your fantasy analysis? Like. Who's a, who's a player that you're still reserving judgment on until you see more, you know, actual in-game reps? I feel that way about a lot of the Giants pieces. They were a really tough offense for me because we know Beckham at peak is, you know, a first-round player, is a generational talent. Um, I wouldn't have taken Barkley at two, but, I mean, if you, if you wanted to take a running back then, he was the guy to take, and, you know, maybe he's a once a, a five- or ten-year running back. Evan Ingram is really just a big receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many things to like about him. Shepard's a good player, but I don't like their offensive line, and I don't like Eli Manning at all. And as much as I'm impressed with the job that the head coach did in Minnesota, I, I don't trust Shula as a play caller. So I feel like there's a lot of things at conflict with the Giants for me. I know Barkley had the one long run. Um, yeah, I want to give Sherman the benefit of the doubt. He was in on that Nick Foles 27 touchdown, two interception season. I, I guess maybe Chip Kelly was the architect of that, but Shermer was part of it. Obviously, last year he got Keenum going. I even thought he had some good moments in Cleveland. Maybe just Cleveland was an unfixable problem. It has been for a while, so I can't really hold that against him. I, I want to think that Shermer is a plus coach, but Shula makes me nervous. And I, Eli, man, 
I would take a quarterback if I were them. I would love to see somebody different riding in this chair. So I, I have a lot of things that conflict with the Giants. Now, to have a mediocre game against the Jaguars is no embarrassment. I mean, Jacksonville may be sure. the toughest assignment in the league right now. But it, it's just weird when you think, oh, I love these offensive pieces. And, oh, the guy at the most important position I don't trust. Oh, I don't trust the guys blocking. I, what do you do with that? Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, we need to see how they do against a non-Jaguars defense before we can really get a good feel for how good they're going to be, especially because I'm with you in lockstep on Eli. Like, I don't like him as a player at this point in his career, but the pieces there are great. Barkley, Beckham, Ingram all looks good. Like, I think that there's something that could be there. We just need to see what happens in a a more neutral or positive matchup. For, For me, it was that this Tennessee-Miami game, and Marcus mm-hmm. Mariota specifically, like Miami should have been a good matchup, so concerns for Mariota's play are, are very much warranted, but this was such an, a disjointed game. Like Mariota couldn't stay on the field either due to health or due to, to the weather, and he does need to stay healthy to maintain any sort of fantasy value, but I want to see how he does under more typical circumstances, kind of like just what we were saying with Eli Manning. With all that said, I don't really want to use Mariota against Houston's defense next week. So I'm in one of my leagues, I'm looking at starting Keenum over him. You mentioned Case Keenum looking pretty good. Where would you land on that in week two? Would you rather start Mariota or Keenum? Keenum at home against Oakland. Um, Tennessee at home against Houston. Yeah, I'd have to go with Keenum on that. And I agree, Mariota's a great choice. And when he came out, in, you know, Winston and Mariota will always be linked because they went 1-2. And I was in of the camp of that I thought Mariota should have been the first pick. And in the first couple of years of their careers, I thought Mariota played better than Winston. But sure he seemed like he was, it, yeah. He was hurt some of the time. And then last year, Mariota had a very mediocre season. But, you know, everybody didn't like their coaching staff. It's funny. As mediocre as that season seemed, I mean, they're another team that, you know, made the playoffs. They never really felt like a playoff team to me. But, you know, they, they actually won a playoff game, too. They beat the Chiefs, of course. But I'm starting to think. That maybe I, I'm really close to washing my hands in Mariota, and that's going to sound silly because it's only one game, and there was a weather delayed game. It was the circumstances of that game in Miami were so strange between an injury and all the delays for Mariota that maybe he just deserves a pass for it. But obviously, Delaney Walker's out for the year, and there's moving parts of this offense. They've added different pieces. You know, we have to figure out the backfield. Is, is Lewis really the guy you'd rather have, or was that more game script oriented? It's nice to see Davis involved where you know, last year he, he kind of had a redshirt year, it felt like. But I'm nervous with Mariota, and I feel like I've defended him or been more pro-Mariota than, than Khan most of his career. And you know, with that Houston matchup, I, I, I guess maybe maybe with Houston, I just think of the best players in their defense, and I forget that you know, it's an 11-man unit or you know, with all the substitutions and sub-packages, you know, 14, 15-player unit. It doesn't matter if the two or three best players in their defense are good. Maybe I'm overrating there's a name brand to Houston that I'm overrating, but um, I would let Mariota in, I think in single quarterback, you wouldn't have to hold them. And I think in multiple quarterback, if you had a reasonable option, you could go to, I would like to, I'm going to have him probably around 20 this week. I think, I mean, a, a not starting range. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I'm, I'm with you. I think that that Oakland defense, we're going to see how they look tonight later, but I'm guessing that that's going to be a plus matchup for Keenum. And that's going to be the tiebreaker for me, especially after we saw what, he did against Seattle. Now we've basically started talking about week two and I want to get to the week two preview part of this podcast. But first I want to get to a word from our sponsors. Want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy football league? Well, look no further and download squad QL, the only mobile app you need to crush your friends and your rivals this year. Squad QL recommends the best starting lineup for you each week, 
based upon your starters, the bench players, and the free agent pool that's available to you. And if you're wondering how SquadQL actually does this, it connects directly with your leagues, either on Yahoo, ESPN, or CBS. It pulls in your actual roster, your scoring settings, and SquadQL provides waiver and trade recommendations, plus gives you player rankings each week. It's all based on those league settings that you pull in. SquadQL truly is your go-to app this fantasy football season, so head over to SquadQL.com to download the app today. SquadQL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, which is the leading daily fantasy lineup optimizer trusted by over 100,000 DFS players. And you can also download RotoQL for free, both on Apple and Android. Check out SquadQL and RotoQL today. Okay, we're back. Week 2 preview time, Scott. Who is your favorite or most intriguing quarterback streamer for Week 2? Well, this is I'm going to throw myself to the wolves here because this could look really bad in 45 minutes, but... I've actually been impressed with Sam Darnold in the Monday night game. I, yeah, the interception on the first play goes back to the house. Um, that wasn't a good decision, but um, he's made some really great reads and thrown to some second and third options, a couple of touchdowns as the game's in the early in the third quarter. Home game next week against Miami. I don't think their defense is anything special. And I like pieces in this offense. I like Quincy Inunua. I like Robbie Anderson. I think the Jets are going to play in a, a fair amount of high-scoring games, which looks like tonight's going to be uh, – Ironically enough, there's been two defensive touchdowns in this game. But I think Darnold is going to be the best quarterback in this class, and I think he's actually going to be stream-worthy as a rookie, and including the Week 2 matchup against Miami. Yeah, I like it. I mean, that was why I was so high on Mariota in Week 1, because I looked at that matchup and I thought, oh, he's going to at least be competent against this Dolphins defense. And sure enough, that game was just a, a total nightmare. But yeah, that's that's a really bold call, bold call but I like it. Um, I have a, a much less bold call. I'm going to take the very, I mean, maybe this doesn't even count anymore. Can I say Alex Smith against Indianapolis? Like, is he too good at this point to be considered like a QB2 or QB3 type who we're not always going to start? Like, is is Alex Smith an every week starter to you? In a two in a two quarterback format, I should qualify. Yeah, I, I have always said that Alex Smith, well, always, maybe, you know, for a few years. Alex Smith is the reason why you have a two quarterback league mm-hmm. because he's a good player and he should be owned and, valuable in every fantasy league but for most years last year obvious exception and even last year it probably took people a while to accept they probably saw alex smith and said no 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 he's the same alex smith quarterback 16 that i you know i want to do better than that and at the end of the year no no he's uh, actually a, you know one of the top five quarterbacks in fantasy i mean runs a little bit um, we'd like to see him maybe be a little bit more daring with the ball uh, but last year you know, he got that you know he threw a lot more he was actually one of the best deep throwers in the league um, I like the fit with Washington. Um, you love Jordan Reed as long as he's on the field. Uh, let's see how long that lasts. I think Crowder and Smith is eventually going to be a good combination. They had kind of a tepid opening, but you know, they were in control of that game with with Arizona, and maybe they just decided, okay, we we have this well in hand. Let's you know we don't have to do anything that exotic. But a home game against Indianapolis that sure sounds good to me. And as you said earlier about Mixon, I mean, as great as Mixon looked, I mean, he did do it against the Colts. And that's one of the easiest draws on the card. I, I think Washington's probably a good bet for 27 or 30 points here, maybe even more than that. I think Smith is a great call. And also why you play in two quarterback formats, because Alex Smith should have value. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of other players we could have tabbed in this section. I mean, I'm looking at Tyrod Taylor going against New Orleans. Now, he's on the road there. Maybe New Orleans bounces back after that bad week one showing. But I think he's interesting. I mean, Ryan Tannehill against the Jets. Uh, we talked about Case Keenum already, maybe even Nick Foles against the Tampa Bay defense, which we know is not very good. Uh, Eli Manning at Dallas, again, kind of playing into what you talked about earlier, bouncing back against the team that isn't the Jaguars. 
Do any of those guys stick out to you as, as someone you might be excited to throw into your lineup in a two QB league? The thing about Taylor is I don't think he's that good of a player, but he's always going to run for some yardage and he's got good skill players. It wasn't a lot of Duke Johnson in the first game, but you know, he's somebody who's a good option. I, I don't know what Gordon is going to be ready to do. Obviously a, a wonderful uh, game tying touchdown catch. Um, he was on a, quote-unquote pitch count, you would think that would be increased. Jarvis Landry's a good player. I know he had a couple of drops in that first game, but, you know, it was in the rain. Never rains in the Superdome. So <laughs> uh, Taylor's one of those guys, I don't think he's always fun to watch, but I think he's usually a good fantasy play because that rushing gives you a nice backboard. So I'd be in on that. The thing I can't – I know we talked about this guy earlier, and I, I don't want to make this the whole Ryan Fitzpatrick podcast, but what do you tell people? He's at home now, but Philadelphia, as you said, really nasty defense. It, it just chewed up the, the Falcons. What the heck do we expect from Ryan Fitzpatrick in week two? I'm out. I, I'm not starting him there again. Like we saw what they did to Matt Ryan. I think that Matt Ryan is as bad as he looked in week one, a better quarterback than Ryan Fitzpatrick, as good sure. as he looked in week one. I, I, I'm staying away from that. Would you rather have, and we talked about Taylor, let's kind of tie these two together. Would you rather have Ryan Fitzpatrick or Baker Mayfield rest of season? Because we talked about the potential for Fitzpatrick to hold that job. You know, there have already been some people talking about Baker Mayfield getting in there for Cleveland over Tyrod Taylor. When it, if it come, came down to those two players, Baker Mayfield and Ryan Fitzpatrick, which one would you rather own right now in a two-quarterback format if you had, you know, just the bench spot to put them at? Not counting on him as a starter right away, but, you know, some, some bench to burn. I guess I'd lean Fitzpatrick just because I, I tend to be a microscope, not a telescope guy with fantasy. And because Fitzpatrick has the baton now, he, he's off a strong game. He has a really good supporting cast. Also, by the way, it's nice to see Deshaun Jackson making plays again. I feel mm -hmm. like he took last season off. And I honestly, I thought he was probably done. I'm a, I'm a Godwin guy anyway. So Jackson was essentially not on my board this year. And, and even though I'm, I may look wrong on that, it's just nice to see him making plays again because it just makes them more interesting and you know good for him. But I'm always going to generally break that tie of a you know, like a Mayfield Fitzpatrick call as well. Who's playing right now? Who who last has done something productive? I think the Browns should actually play Mayfield really soon. I don't know what their plan is. I mean, as we all saw in Hard Knocks, it's hard to put a lot of faith in that coaching staff sometimes. Although they've accumulated a ridiculous amount of talent. Yeah, I thought their defense played terrific. I mean, we know we've seen the Steelers sleepwalk on the road before, but I thought the Browns forced a lot of that. I thought they made Pittsburgh play bad in a lot of instances and, and brought on some of those mistakes and turnovers. But um, because I'm not confident that Cleveland will be proactive with the quarterback change because they probably see that tie as a win for them. I and mean, they, they went winless last year. You know, this is, this is the second best moment of the Hugh Jackson era, right? So um, because I think that might be a more delayed thing than we'd like it to be. I'd have to side with Fitzpatrick. It's such a backwards way of looking at it though, to, to regard a tie as, I mean, it is, I guess, positive relative to what they've been used to, but it's still not positive relative to a normal NFL team's expectations. And I, I, as a fan, like as a person who just watches, I have no allegiance to Cleveland or, or you know, I, I'm not anti-Cleveland or anything, but right. I want to see the best possible product from every team on the field, That especially, if, you know, if I don't have rooting interest in the game, whether it be through fantasy or fandom, I, I can't believe that they'll just continue to accept that sort of mediocrity. I hope that they don't. I mean, but I agree with you that it's, it seems like the way things are now that that, that they're comfortable with that. And that's, frustrating for me, but I, I'm going to go the other way. I would rather have Mayfield if only because history tells us that he's going to start sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. I've mentioned the stat on the show a few times, but I think since 2008, quarterbacks drafted first overall have started an average of 13 and a half games in their first season. So 
you know, history is on our side here if, if we're if we're Mayfield believers. And Tyrod, like you said, is kind of a frustrating player to watch. I don't think that the the upside of having him in there is very high. I don't necessarily know if they're going to keep tying games, let alone winning them. So if they start to lose a little bit more, I think Hugh Jackson's going to get on the hot seat. And whether he gets fired or whether he just feels the pressure to make a switch, I think that's going to happen soon. And like I said, I still believe that Winston is going to be the primary quarterback for Tampa Bay. I'm, I'm worried about it, but I still believe that he's going to be the guy. I think you have to you know, take that 55% shot or whatever, whatever it is on him. But I'll lean Mayfield over Fitzpatrick, but I... I totally concede your point like it's very reasonable to to take the short view go with what's working right now and you know fig, figure out you know week six in week six you know what i mean right that, that's generally what I, I do in those situations let me ask you this i don't think we've talked about this on twitter or anywhere else who was the number one quarterback on your board entering the draft entering the draft uh, oh oh the of, of the rookies, of you mean? i yeah. i was i was in on mayfield i i think that the college production is is something that i tend to lean on because i'm not a film guy i don't necessarily watch a lot of college football and a lot of smart people on my timeline and you know articles i was reading were basically touting him as the best prospect so so that was the way i leaned but i, I mean i don't say that with a ton of confidence and i'm definitely not an expert in in college quarterback plays so take take all of this with a huge grain of salt right I, i'm gonna throw the same you know amount of sodium on this I, I darnold was the guy i would have taken first but i i do not I have not crunched, you know, the the film that other people have, you know, I, I, I did even my college, I went to a college that didn't even have a football program. So it's never, it's never been, there's a ton of sports that I follow more than college football. I'm a huge NFL guy. I'm a huge baseball guy. I'm a huge hockey guy. I'm a huge golf guy. Um, I love basketball, but college football is just like probably the one major sport that people think, wow, you're not watching this for 10 hours every Saturday. And, and I'm, I just, I feel like I need a day to just run the rest of my life and do other things. So um, you know, I'll watch the highlights. I'll, I'll watch the big games. You know, I, I know a little bit about, you know, Alabama, a little bit about, you know, the best schools, you know, a little bit about Georgia and, you know, whoever else is good. But, um, Darnold to me looked like the, the best, the best guy of this class, but it's, you know, I've seen Baker Mayfield play five times. You know, I mean, I, I can't claim to be an expert on this. Yeah. I mean, particular part of the thing. Darnold had the youth going in his favor too, and I think that that does matter when it comes to college prospects. So I think he would he would probably have been my second choice. Now, I don't know if I, I didn't do like rankings for the rookie quarterbacks or anything, so I, I don't even know where I would put that. I right. was excited about Lamar Jackson because of the rushing upside and what he could do specifically for fantasy. But you know, as a quarterback prospect, as somebody who might become like the leader of a franchise, I again I have no idea really how to to separate these guys. I'm only really thinking about it in terms of fantasy, and for the most part, only redraft like. I didn't really draft Lamar Jackson, even though the hype was out of control. Uh, I, I Once it became clear that Darnold was probably going to start week one, I bumped him up in terms of like where I ranked them, where I ranked him compared to all the other quarterbacks for this season. Uh, but I, I, again, that's that that means I wasn't ending up with him anyway because he was still my you know QB twenty nine or something like that, right? It, it doesn't right. make a whole lot of a difference. When Not a needle mover. Two right. things I did like about Darnold. Um, one is that he just seems like a guy who's going to major in football. I mean, I, th I think about when Mark Sanchez came to the Jets and, and he just <laughs> enjoyed being a, you know, a kind of a socialite and sure. a man about town and everything. And, you know, Sanchez had an okay career. I mean, he went to a couple of AFC championship games. It wasn't on his coattails really, but it wasn't like he was a total flop. But Darnold is just one of those guys who's just going to eat, drink, sleep football. And he's kind of a boring guy, but in a good way. And also, I cannot say this enough. It, it, I don't know anybody can really take this opinion and, and make any money off it or, you know, maximize it or whatever, but 
I think Josh McCown is, is like just a really, really sharp, wise person who is a perfect mentor for Darnold on the Jets, the backup quarterback, and he's basically like on the coaching staff now. And you'd even see today after the the pick six in the first quarter, you know, it was McCown who was you know getting everybody to calm down and and just live in the moment and everything. I, I cannot say enough that Josh McCown at some point is going to be a coach or a principal or I don't know what he's going to do, but I want to bet on Josh McCown. He's going to be successful because. He's really smart, and he has a ton of experience in this game, and has really, really good people skills. And that makes me like Darnold more because he's going to be under the wing of McCown. And it's funny; I know McCown for years. You know, people just kind of saw him as a, I don't know, maybe not a, not a good player, not a, maybe took too many risks, just kind of a hair on fire guy. But it's just interesting how he's morphed into this veteran who I think is a very wise, calming, you know, influence on a team. I think he's going to be a big part of Darnold's development. If Darnold has a, a strong rookie season, I think a lot of that will be because of McCown. Well, you brought up Josh McCown, which is a perfect segue to our clipboard holder of the week segment. And this is where we look for a quarterback who you would normally start in your fantasy leagues. And, and again, we're talking two QB for the most part here, but this is a, a player who you might avoid in this particular week where the matchup isn't good. And I was looking through the week two schedule. There weren't a whole lot of, names from that kind of QB that, that like second or third tier of guys that I really didn't love the matchup for it seems like the guys with the worst matchups are either players we didn't want to start in the first place or they're the really good guys like Russell Wilson at Chicago Aaron Rodgers at home against Minnesota if he plays Tom Brady at Jacksonville is one of those guys the clipboard holder of the week for you or are you going to dig a little deeper and find somebody from those middle tiers of the position Ken, do we have the guts to move off Watson? Uh, that, that's I think somebody could conceivably have a, a strong enough team that maybe they wouldn't use him. He's the first guy that makes me nervous. For, for me, it's it's Mariota, a guy who I was high on in the preseason. But no, when... I think Mariota is just a flat. I, I don't even. I think I'm just. You have He's... to see another week from him if you have any other option. The other guy he makes me nervous, and I compared him to a knuckleball pitcher. I guess there's just no middle ground with Nick Foles. I guess he's just going to hmm. be great. Or he's going to be like, oh my God, get him off the field. Uh, again, you know, the Falcons have a good defense. I mean, they get paid too. So I get it. But man, he, he looked like he just met the team five minutes before the game started. I was shocked at how bad. And there's a bunch of stats where, you know, he's, he all, he, he hit all these negative benchmarks with like a team should never win if your quarterback does X, Y, and Z. And he did those things and they won anyway. And <laughs> I'm all fourfolds. You know, he seems like a good guy. He seems like somebody who understands the big picture, you know, has a really good handle on life. And even as a Patriots fan, I, you know, I had no problem just tipping my cap to how great Falls was in the Super Bowl. And, you know, they, they won. They took a swing at the Patriots. You know, rather than try to play defensively or, or, you know, tiptoe around New England, they, they realized you had to go out and try to take it away from the Patriots and they did. But I, Falls to me, it just seems like he's just this knuckleball guy. The knuckleball knuckles. He's great. Knuckleball doesn't knuckle. He allows nine runs. He allows five home runs. I, I don't have any confidence with him, even at a Tampa Bay defense that just got lit up, albeit in a victory. Um, I'm two quarterback fulls makes me very nervous. I thought he'd be a fun plug in while, uh, Wentz is getting healthy and who knows how long that's going to last, but I'm, I'm going to back way off fulls this week. Where are you at on Phillip rivers going on the road at Buffalo? Do you buy into those West coast traveling East narratives for an early start? Buffalo, while they did not look good as a team, they, they held Flacco, I think to under 240 passing yards. He had three TDs passing, but very much it's not a bad defense. The defense is yeah, not exactly. the team. I mean, yeah, it, it's going to be hard to tell sometimes because you're going to see the offense is going to sell the defense down the river. But you want, I want to see more teams. I don't know what the Chargers are planning on doing. And I get I get 
they're probably not going to do this. But if I ran the Chargers, I would get east as soon as possible and practice all week in Buffalo if they could, or you know, somewhere in Toronto or somewhere in the greater Buffalo area and get acclimated with the different uh, time zone. I think there's certainly something to the you know, your whole sleep gets messed up. And, you know, people talk about how early should you get to Denver to deal with the altitude change and all that. Um, it, it makes me a little bit nervous. And I, I think you wisely point out that Buffalo's defense is better than people realize. So I, this this seems like a game where the Chargers might win it ugly. You know, they might win like a 24 to 6 type of game. And Rivers might, it might be like a 215, you know, and one and a half touchdowns. Maybe you get the second one, maybe you don't. I'm not going to be certainly not going to be proactive about playing Rivers in this spot, even though we don't think Buffalo overall is a good team. Yeah, I think the last guy who I, I really am in consideration of potentially benching, and I would feel pretty horrible about it, considering like if I owned him anywhere, the draft capital I put into him was probably absurdly high. But this Russell Wilson going to Chicago, especially because Doug Baldwin doesn't sound like he's going to be ready for Week Two, I I just don't trust Tyler Lockett and Brandon Marshall and those no-name tight ends to really carry him. And maybe Russell Wilson gets there by rushing the ball more, but that's another matchup that I'm, I'd be really wary of. Now, I don't have to worry about it because, like I said, I don't really have Wilson on any of my teams, but I think that's another one where you could at least, you could at least consider it if you had the right you know, second- and third-tier options to potentially plug in ahead of him. What do you think about Wilson going on the road at the Bears? I guess the pro side of Wilson would be two things. One, you expect some kind of rushing kickback. And two, even with Baldwin being a non-factor in week one, he still threw three touchdowns to three different guys. He's just such a magician. By the way, why, I've never understood this. I'm sure there's a reason behind it, but nobody's ever explained it to me. I don't know why they give teams back-to-back island games where teams mm-hmm. commonly will play the Sunday and Monday night game or the Monday and Sunday night game. I, I don't know. Maybe they just feel like if it's going to be out of your routine, it's easier to do it twice in a row or something. But I wish they would break it up. I, I'm probably the only person who ever complains about that, and everybody else has probably waves their hand and doesn't care. But um, I just went to Chicago, or Green Bay, I guess it was. But I just I just saw Matt Nagy on an island game. Can we wait a few weeks before I have more Mitch Trubisky in my life? By the way, I'm curious how you spun the Trubisky game. He comes out, really executed the script early. Um, you know, I'm sure they had a bunch of plays ready to go, but it seemed like they ran out of ideas, and maybe they got too far ahead and they played more to the score than to what they could do successfully. And then he looked kind of deer in the headlights in the second half. That was a really hard team to get a handle on with a new coach, a lot of new offensive players. And we're still not really sure how good Trubisky is. You know, he played part of last season with an antiquated coaching staff. I'm just curious, maybe not even so much this week, but just in general, I mean, what, what's your state of Trubisky and your state of the Bears right now? He was another tough evaluation for me coming into the season just because kind of like Mariota, we don't really know what the new coaching staff is going to mean for him, big picture. Uh, but I, I was, I'm generally optimistic for Trubisky, if only because he does have a little bit of that rushing floor. Because the offense should be better. I like the weapons they have there. I just, I, I don't know. That that game seemed one to me. It kind of reminded me of the opposite of what we talked about with Andy Reid, where you know Reid always seems to have a creative way to get his playmakers the ball. And like you said, Chicago seemed to run out of those ideas halfway through the game, which. Definitely did not help. It seemed like they were playing scared in the second half after Rodgers came back. And I, I don't really know how much of that is game plan specific. Like if if it's just they get the lead and in when they're the underdogs and they just immediately think, oh, I need to turtle up into my shell and just try to protect this lead. That, that always seems like the wrong approach. Like we see the best teams put their foot on the gas pedal in those sorts of situations, right? And continue to be creative, continue to try to run up the score. And I understand that you have a, a young quarterback, but I don't necessarily know if the Bears are 
Super Bowl contenders this year, you might as well let them go out there and get those reps, kind of like what we were talking about with the Buffalo QBs earlier, where let Trubisky go out there and try to put a game away instead of you know trying to hide him on offense. That doesn't. Right. And if you lose, so what? Yeah, exactly. You because so you, yeah. you probably weren't winning the Super Bowl anyway. Like let's let's get out there. And if if you lose, so what? If you lose, you get a higher draft pick, which only makes your team better. Although I guess they just traded theirs away for Khalil Mack. But but you get what I mean. Like this is not something where. NFL teams are rarely as aggressive as I want them to be. And there are a few exceptions, of course, but I, I feel like that was something that the Bears fell prey to. Uh, do you agree with that or disagree? Yeah, I do. Where, where I do. Um, there's a theme I talk about called friendliest loss, which is the idea that, you know, it's like, you know, I got a, got a punt at midfield. You know, what if I went for it and didn't make it? Your teams would rather lose in a comfortable, convenient, familiar way than lose with a way that might be more risky, but yet easier to criticize if it doesn't work out. So, you know, Nagy did, you know, oh, we got to kick the field goal in fourth and one. We can't, we can't go for it. You know, it's going to look bad if it doesn't work out. I mean, teams are so, uh, coaches are so used to losing. They'd rather win or lose conventionally than do things unconventionally. And, you know, it's not, not that the Eagles last year played with their hair on fire, but you know, they did do a lot of things. They weren't afraid, you know, in the, in the Super Bowl to call a trick play. They weren't afraid to go for it on fourth down. I think that's how you have to play, especially especially you look at the Bears in the Packers game. If you think the other team is better, take a swing at them. Try to beat them. You know, try to try to threaten them. Don't uh, you know, just take the uh, take the conventional way out. I think that's a mistake. I'm curious. The Bears. You know, we, I talked about all the moving parts. You know, um, they added a tight end. They added a receiver. They drafted a receiver. A lot of draftable commodities on this team. But you know, with a new coach who's a little bit unknown, we don't know how good Trubisky is. I'm curious, who is your most owned player, if you know who it is off the top of your head on the Bears? Is there somebody you have a lot of, or is there somebody you're staked to in this offense? The player I wanted to be drafting more was Jordan Howard, but I ended up missing on him a lot. I ended up with a fair amount of Trubisky because I play a lot of two-quarterback and because I like to wait at that position. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I drafted him, I think, in the Scott Fishbowl and a couple other spots. And then I, I did buy the Trey Burton hype, too. And I'm not too worried after week one, even though no, he was slightly I'm, disappointing. I'm all that. The, the targets were there. I think it'll be fine. I do have some lingering concerns about, you know, when a receiver changes teams, like how, how long it takes them to get acclimated to the offense and to how the quarterback plays. Like there's a pretty spotty track record for wide receivers who switch teams year to year. And I think that that, that could definitely apply to Trey Burton being a tight end doing the same thing. But the usage yesterday was really promising. I feel good about him. And Trubisky, you know, again, like he was good enough for me to feel okay with where I have him, but those are the two guys I have a lot. I don't have any Tariq Cohen. I, I was out on him. I, I have a very small amount of Allen Robinson, but not a ton. Uh, there were just too many. I, wide receiver is one of those positions that was so deep this year that I wasn't really overweight on anybody, to be honest. Right. Another position that why talk yourself into somebody when there's a bunch of players totally. you want to draft already. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that wasn't something... Yeah, the Bears weren't a team that I invested heavily in, but where, where I got them, it was mostly Burton uh, as you know, kind of that value tight end, and then Trubisky as that value quarterback. Yeah, I agree. Just about everything you said, I have a lot of Howard. Um, I wanted Burton, and he started to get pricier as the draft season went along. A, a good reason why you want to draft early. And Trubisky, you know, athletic. He's going to run for a lot of a lot of production. I think you know, you can always expect the touchdown he got last night. But um, yeah, I, I I think we are in lockstep on most of the Bear stuff. One last thing before we go. We're running out of time here. Give me a bold prediction for week two. Bold prediction. Tom Brady will not throw a touchdown pass at Jacksonville. Ooh, I like it. 
I'm going to go the other way, and this is self-serving. We talked about this earlier. I'm going to say that Case Keenum stays hot against Oakland and posts a top-five finish at the quarterback position. I also predict that the Raiders will realize John Gruden was a mistake and will fire him on Tuesday. Can I say that? <laughs> probably won't happen. <laughs> but I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm going to make it bolder. They're going to fire him at halftime of the game. The Rams will be ahead 38 to nothing, and then the Raiders will fire John Gruden. Yeah, that that would be impressive. The Raiders fans are like crossing their fingers and pleading right now. Yes, do it. But, uh, man, that, what a train wreck they are. We'll have to save the Raiders discussion for next time, Scott. Um, re- listeners, be sure to check out Scott's work over at Yahoo Fantasy. Uh, you can follow him at Scott underscore Pianowski on Twitter. Scott, anything to plug before we sign off? Uh, no, just you know, catch me on Twitter, Breakfast Table Podcast with Michael Salfino. There's also a pod I do with uh, Liz Loza on Sunday nights, which is part wrap-up and part spin forward. So, um, you know, check those things out. Let's talk on Twitter, and uh, let's try to figure it out. Awesome. Thanks for joining me, Scott. I appreciate you taking the time. Listeners, uh, if you want to send questions to the show, you can hit us up on Twitter at 2QBs. You can send us questions by email as well, 2QBs at gmail.com. In both cases, spell it out with letters, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Please rate and review the podcast if you wouldn't mind. That would really help me out. And uh, be sure to check out our sponsor, SquadQL. Um, With that said, we will catch you next time. Adios. Adios.